Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app/breadbox. Praised be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. I'm Alexandra Sullivan. And I'm Father Connolly. Welcome to Raising Saints, Helping Kids Hear God's Voice. We're a priest and a mom who are eager to do our best to answer kids' questions about God, the church, the faith, and more. Most importantly, to help them to grow in their relationship with God and ultimately hear His voice. Father Connolly. Miss Sullivan, top of the morning. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. And with your spirit. <laughs> so um, before you lead us in prayer, I'm just going to introduce, we have a special guest today. Yes, we have we Kimberly do. Cook joining us and we'll let Kimberly give more of a, an introduction to herself, but she's recently written a book and we'd like her to give us a little um, introduction to that and, and why she wrote it. And uh, it's called Motherhood Redeemed. So we'll get to that in a moment. But before that, can you lead us in prayer? Yes, absolutely. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Amen. Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for us sinners. Now, now and at the hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I will say, if you guys hear any loud banging, we're having our roof repaired today of all days. So Raise the roof. <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't come through the audio, but um, if it does, sorry. Are you sure it's not your kids? <laughs> and you're just telling us it's your roof? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so um so we just celebrated the feast of the epiphany. 
and realizing that some places celebrate on the Sunday after New Year's and some celebrate on the 6th, but we celebrated on the Sunday and your parish, Father Connolly, gave out Blessed Chalk. Mm. And it was so interesting. I've never done this. Kimberly, have you done this, blessed your house before? We have, yeah. We've okay. done it. So this was something new to me. Like I, I um, listeners may know that I've come to faith as more as an adult. So a lot of these things are not things that I learned. So I'm always introduced to these new ideas. So Father Connolly gave out blessed chalk and we drew the epiphany blessing on our door. And um, mm-hmm. my husband said the prayer that comes along with it. So that was kind of a unique experience and uh, something that, see, we're always learning, right? Um. So today we're going to introduce Kimberly Cook. Now, um, Kimberly has a master's in theology, correct? From Mm -hmm. Franciscan University. And you host a podcast called The Dignity of Women. And your ministry is really aimed at, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but aimed at uh, teaching women um, about true femininity as the Catholic Church understands it. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. your book, Motherhood Redeemed, has flowed from that idea. And um, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about um, the book, why you wrote it, how you got there, a little bit, just whatever, whatever strikes your fancy. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the book is called Motherhood Redeemed, How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love. And it was just recently released by Tan Books. And um, this is something that I've felt called to write for a long time. Um, Basically, just first of all, telling my journey. Um, You know, I was raised like a lot of other Catholics, uh, cradle Catholic, but not really with that meaning much more than going to mass on Sundays. Um, The rest of the week, the rest of Sunday were just, you know, lived pagan or just like without faith I guess you could say I mean we did it was very traditional like we prayed before meals we prayed before bed but uh, and that was fine as a kid but as I started to get a little bit older like my brother and I to middle school age we started to question my parents you know why do we say this why do we do this why do we sit down stand up kneel Um, what's the point of all these things and my parents being catechized very poorly in the 60s and 70s and all that kind of stuff um had no answers and they were like I don't know we just do you know this is what what we did and what our parents did and what their parents did and so that of course was not good enough for us like that wasn't going to fly especially since we were going to public school all you know none of our friends were catholic a lot of them weren't anything and so it didn't seem fair that we had to get up on Sundays and do this, you know, meaningless ritual kind of thing just to check it off the list. And so that we could pay homage to our family lineage that had done this forever. And to me, um, it really did start to seem like pagan. You know, we were doing these rituals, this incense. I, you know, my parents, we, I asked them about the Eucharist. Why are we doing this? what is it? Well, it's just symbolic, you know, all that other. And my mom had gone to 12 years of Catholic school, you know, taught by nuns, and she did not know that it was the real presence. Um, so she, you know, there these answers were just, to me, it started to seem like uh, the more I learned about faith and icons and, you know, the Bible, I was like, wow, the Catholic Church really is living all these horrible things. Like next, they'll be putting up a golden calf, you know, and all that kind of stuff. 
And so, I mean, looking back, like these arguments seemed so easy to dissuade. Like, you know, I wish I could go back to my middle school self and sit down for a half hour and kind of like slap myself around <laughs> or something. Ooh. I think we well, all um, like that. <laughs> if only. There's so much I would tell. <laughs> exactly. I know this sounds like but a good idea. It's not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like a lot of these arguments seem so easy, you know, to dissuade, but my parents did not have the answers. And so sadly, we kind of eventually convinced them that the Catholic Church was a bad idea, you know, which sounds ridiculous now. Like yeah. my teenage or preteen self convincing my parents that the Catholic Church was not something that we should be wasting our time with. So anyway, um, we went into, my brother and I went into high school years, those four years without any faith. My parents decided, okay, we're, we're sick of fighting with you guys to get out of bed on Sundays. We're tired of, of, you know, the fight all the time. It's not worth it. So we're not going to church anymore. We're done with the sacraments. Um, I never made my confirmation. Um, you know, we just kind of ended things there. And you can imagine four years, public high school, no faith grounding, um, none of my friends having any faith, a lot of their parents still being entrenched in like the 60s and 70s sexual revolution. A lot of their friends, my friends' parents were still doing drugs and everything like that. And so you can imagine how that went down. Um, a, like a, those were dark years, you know, four years of darkness. And a lot of my teachers in the school were still like entrenched in the sexual revolution and feminism and everything like that. So I kind of just started to absorb everything and I became pretty um, convinced that the feminist movement was still alive and well and was meaningful and it kind of became my religion, like my replacement for Catholicism. You know, we I think we all go through that point where it's like you want, there must be something more and if there isn't, then why are we even, like, let's end this. And I, I had friends who ended it, you know, suicide and everything because it was just like, if there is no point and if there's no anything after this life and if this life is what it is then really what what's the point here and so, so you know you start searching everywhere and i searched everywhere i got to the point where i studied philosophy and that was the gateway drug i say back to religion um but, you know, I, I was like, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a reason that we're here, a reason that we exist and we think. And, you know, we're not just animals who don't care about our existence. Um, and so I started looking in every single religion um, to find God. I knew that I, I had already checked Catholicism off the box as a kid. So I knew that one was already oh done like it wasn't there i wasn't going what was that sorry you just uh, froze up for a second oh, okay hold on let me open the door a little wider sometimes the reception okay <laughs> sometimes the reception cuts out a little bit in this room when it's raining um, yeah but anyway yeah so i um you know i studied eastern religions i studied everything um and i knew that okay i definitely think that i'm a christian i know i'm not so I started going to different Protestant churches and things like that. And um, eventually I was dating a guy who was 
agnostic or atheist or whatever, and he got a job at a Catholic um, firm, and it was an Italian Catholic family, and they were very, very strong about their faith, and he knew that I was on this existential search for meaning, and he said to me, you know, you got to meet my boss, you got to talk to him, and I was like, oh, not Catholicism, like, okay, I'll, I'll go in there and tell this guy what's up, and, you know, probably convince him not to be Catholic, you know, it's so sad that I have to keep on doing this, you know, to Catholics and tell them that, you know, their faith is not the real faith or anything. So, you know, I went in really confident. I had, you know, I, I was in a punk rock band, um, a female band at the time. So, you know, I kind of wants to hear more about that, by the way. <laughs> He's very yeah, intrigued yeah. by that. <laughs> yeah, so... So in high school, you know, I, when I got into this feminist movement, I it was this whole underground culture, and a lot of it was intertwined with music, which I think still is the case with every generation. You know, these movements are very closely mixed with music, you know, and for us, it was punk rock, and there's a, a movement called the Riot Girl movement, which is basically feminism mixed with punk rock, and it's this thriving underground movement. And so I joined a band, me and a couple other girls joined a band and we had that band for about eight years. We traveled the country, traveled Europe. We put a CD out there. Um, wow. I mean, we were just like, that was going to be our future. That was going to be my life is mm-hmm. like a punk rock singer, you know, <laughs> and how different your life is now. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to be this, you know, around the world spouting off this um, feminist message and it's sad like thinking about how many people I touched you know in the wrong way um, with the microphone from the stage you know how many young women and men too you know you look back and you're like oh my gosh that was the hardest part I think of my conversion was to think of how many people I had affected negatively Um, Mm. like almost too much to bear in coming back to the faith wow but, uh, yeah, so basically I went in to talk to my boyfriend's boss and I had pink hair and, you know, wearing all black and this dark black eyeliner and, you know, this punk rock chick and, um, and I go in to tell him what's up and he just had a lot of, well, he has a lot of spiritual gifts, like really powerful spiritual gifts. You know, one of those people who's just very into the charismatic renewal and he's just like so open to the Holy spirit. So like just exudes this love and this acceptance and just like God just works through this man constantly. He's brought so many people back to the faith. He's just, you know, so I went in there and it was like everything. He was kind of that person that my teenage early teenage middle school self needed to hear every question that I pelted at him he had the perfect answer and mm-hmm. answer and um and I was really disarmed by that meeting and so anyway it the rest is kind of history I wound up going to um I wound up really like coming back to the church and um I wound up going to Steubenville as I talk about in the book you mm-hmm. know um kind of a little bit resistant, but finally went to Steubenville by, you know, miraculous means, I guess you could say. And then, um, 
And then I, I went on to get my master's in theology and to work with women. And, um, and one thing I never thought I would do, which was get married and have children. Right. You mentioned that in the book that that was like just so far from your plan that like just motherhood was not something that appealed to you. It was just so far off your radar. So then to come around, you know, 180. So that's where you are now with four children and homeschooling and, you know, working with women. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things um, that I talk about a lot in the book is just with the feminist movement is for me, especially was this disdain for motherhood. It wasn't just like, I don't think that I'm called to motherhood. It was like, I think motherhood is a terrible thing to happen to women. Like Mm -hmm. it, it's okay. I mean, basically for the women who don't have anything to offer, if you're not smart enough to go to college if you're not good enough or confident enough um, to make it on your own and to contribute something to society, if you're just basically like the bottom of the barrel and you really have nothing to offer, then yeah, just get married and go like keep the population going. Like that's how sad Hmm. my idea of motherhood was. And so I really had this disdain for motherhood and women that I thought were talented, smart, educated, who became mothers, I was like angry at them. I was like, that is such a perfect waste. How could you do that? You know, there was really this anger towards them. And I was like, okay, well, that's something that I will never allow to happen to myself. You know, if you want, if you want to go have your career, do everything that you want to do. And then when you're like around, you know, late 30s or 40s, have one or two children just to get it out of your system and then go back to work or do whatever you do, you know, just so you can like appease your bio- biological clock or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, that's how shallow, I can't emphasize enough how shallow the thought of motherhood was for me. Right. I think that I, I think when you write in the book, I think you put your finger on something very crucial to the feminist movement is that that is typical, right? That's like, you know, you're, you're a woman and you have these, these talents and these goals and, and it's all about what you can do, what you want to do, be the best you, you know, just the idea that then getting married and, and having children or or just having children and, and not getting married, it's, it's just not what, it's just not in your best interest. And I think that's a very prevalent um, thought in society. And, and we're seeing that we see women who are spending their lives on their career, which I, no judgment on that. Right. But then they're having children much later in life. And I think that's, that's just kind of common in our culture. And to understand that that comes from this place, this, this feminist movement is, is really uh, eye opening in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess Father Connolly, should we should we break into one of our questions, kind of as dovetail here? Yeah, I think actually that that sets us up nicely, Kim. You know, we basically um, started this podcast just simply to answer questions that kids have, and um, so we've gotten so many good ones. And one that we've gotten quite a bit uh, is about the priesthood, and it's one that now I've answered a, a few times here, but. Um, quite a lot in my visits to this school and all that. Um, and it's, you probably know where I'm going with this. Why are only boys priests, you know, and, and there's this spirit of 
um, well, not spirit, but there's this sense that that it's something that's meant to be exclusive, that like we're a bunch of uh, kids in a treehouse and we post the sign, <laughs> no girls allowed, right? Um, and uh, so a common answer to that, that that you hear pretty often is, well, you know, look at the Bible, Jesus only called men. Well, that's not true. <laughs> you know, we're right. the, the apostles were men that's that's true but if we try to even use that and say well you know priests um bishops and priests bishops are successors to the apostles priests are participants in in their um you know order and and so that's well that has its limits too because look at the the incredible women who have had such uh, tremendous roles in salvation look at the blessed mother you know my mm -hmm. goodness she who gave birth to the divine son. Um, if you wanted to take that angle, wouldn't that actually make sense to say women who participate in, in this mystery more intimately than men do um, would be the natural kind of um, successors to this ministry of, of bringing Jesus into the world as we do in the Eucharist at mass, right? Um, well, okay. So that that's one limitation of that argument. I, I tend to like to emphasize the fatherhood of the priesthood, that mm -hmm. it's it's a unique, you know, we're called father and it's this unique role that we're given and that in a way, you know, only a man can be a father, right? So that's, um, I find it be that, I find that to be a more effective, more uh, just honest answer. Mm -hmm. But I'd really love to hear from you because this is where I, I can only take it so far and then I'm going to fall short really love to hear from you, someone who was steeped in the feminist movement and who now has dedicated herself firstly in your in your marriage and in your motherhood, but then also through your writing and your evangelization to um, building women up, right, and, and embracing authentic femininity. Imagine you had a young girl right there asking you, why it's not fair why can only, why can the boys only become priests? You know, what, how would you answer that? And how how would you help her understand the different roles that the different genders take and, and God's plan for us in that way? Right. Right. Well, I I definitely think there is something to be said, like you said about um, Christ calling the men, and I think that people do try to challenge that in saying, well, those were the times back then he couldn't have called women. And of course, if we look at scripture, we can see that that's not true because yeah, he all the rules, <laughs> right? He broke all the rules with women. And, um, you know, there were his mother and Mary Magdalene were, were with them, were traveling with them and all of the women, you know, the woman at the well, there were so many women. He did not have a problem elevating women or allowing women to travel with them or to speak to women who he shouldn't have been speaking with or dining with. So there's nothing to say. Um, there's no proof that he would not have chosen women if he had thought that that was appropriate. So I do think that there's something scripturally relevant to that. And um I, John Paul II said a lot about that and pointed out that the symbol of the bridegroom is masculine. And that, that masculine symbol represents 
the human aspect of the divine love for that God has for Israel, for the church, and for all people. So I think when we think of the bridegroom, like you said, Father, it is masculine. Christ is masculine, and he comes with a, not just in a masculine body, but we have to think that as women and men, we also have a masculine or feminine soul. And I think that that's something that has become a huge confusion is that, you know, we're just souls that, you know, randomly uh, kind of go into a male or female body. It's just kind of like this um, line, you know, mechanical line of male, female, male, and just a soul randomly gets put into a random body. And, you know, oops, sometimes they get mixed up and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I think that one thing that I try to emphasize so much is that we are feminine or masculine in our creation, body and soul before our body was created. You know, God had this plan for us to be feminine, masculine, and that's not something that is just extended to our flesh. So, um, so I think that, like you said, the, there is an integration of what is masculine and feminine, and we can't dissolve that. Our motherhood as women does not necessarily mean that you have to be a physical mother. When we look at women who are um, sisters and nuns and religious, and when we look at women who are single, but even young girls, you know, and I think this is something that I didn't realize because motherhood was something that I couldn't relate to because I didn't see it as something that I was called to in a physical sense. And I didn't understand it as anything beyond a physical sense. So Mm -hmm. that, that that's something for even young girls to understand that they are mothers. They have this maternal love that they give, that they offer. Even when they're little girls, they have this maternal love. And a lot of feminists have, Um, argued against that, that that's just a social construct, that society gives you a pink dress and gives you a doll and says, act like this. And, um, and that there's really nothing in a woman, in in a young girl that is maternal. We, as a society, create that and push that upon her. And the same thing for men. So I think that when you look at the priesthood, we do call the priest father. He does act in the person of Christ. He is the symbol of that bridegroom, which is masculine. And we can't, like you said, Father, a lot of times we do see it um, from the perspective of the treehouse with no girls allowed. But the thing is, I think, is that we can't hold up one thing that Christ calls us to as better than the other, because a boy could easily say, why couldn't I be a mother? You know, why look at the blessed mother have so much love and admiration for her to the point where it becomes unfair that she was able to have children and, you know, that I'll never be able to emulate the blessed mother in that way. And, um, and so I think that's just the thing is that with femininity, we have this gift of giving life and it's not just physical life. It's a lot more than physical life. It's giving life in so many different areas And with masculinity, it is this protection of the church, protection of the Eucharist, protection of your spouse, protection of your children. It's this safeguarding. Um, When we look at St. Joseph and his role of fatherhood, you know, he wasn't the biological father of Jesus. You could look at him as getting gypped. He also was not um, without sin. You know, it's like you could look at the Holy Family and see that, wow, St. Joseph really had an accident 
to grind when he got to heaven, you know, he, and, but then again, like you look at what is St. Joseph's masculinity without ever having, uh, born, you know, any parts in, in Jesus's physical birth. And, um, and you look at what was his fatherhood role and it's very different from Mary's role, although they both protected, educated, um, you know, guided and guarded Jesus. So I think that we need to, I would say, step away from this comparison, which we always do, like being a priest, uh, you know, being able to go up and give a homily or consecrate the Eucharist is better than X, Y, or Z that I'm allowed to do. Like I, to look at everything as a limitation, the best mm. thing to do is join an order and pray all day. You know, I'll never be able to give a homily. I'll never be... We look at everything from this limitation instead of seeing the great gift. You know, if the Blessed Mother was to look and say, oh, well, I could only bear Jesus. That's all I ever got to do. You know, I'll never get to, um, you know, be in the temple and talk to hundreds of scholars. You know, she could have easily looked at it from a limitation standpoint, which yeah. seems absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a really good point, Kim, too. Thank you, because I think... So often, sadly, even we who are supposed to be, you know, leaders in the church, sow this kind of confusion and and put that uh, perspective of of limitation on the issues. And I think of you know a year or so ago when there was this kind of um, polarizing message that came out from Father James Martin about how we need women to be able to participate in this way. To how else are are are, are they going to share their their wisdom and their experience. Well, actually, you know, it's just different ways of sharing it, right? It's not that the pulpit is the only uh, place from which to share wisdom and experience. Look at, at, at your beautiful work with your book and all that you do and Alexandra, your blog and this podcast, but even beyond that, it's not having to do something public like that. Just living your vocation is, is honestly, I'm not just saying this to be, you know, self-deprecating, far more inspiring and edifying than frankly anything I'm going to say from the pulpit in uh, 10 to 12 minutes on a Sunday. It's, you know, so I think how important that is to impress upon our, our children different is okay. It doesn't mean, um, you know, limited. It, it means distinct, unique. Um, yeah. And that I think is a blessing. And I think you're right about the confusion that, um, even from the pulpit or, you know, that priests, like you mentioned, have uh, kind of sown some of that confusion. When I was working as a campus minister, I was asked several times by different priests if I didn't think that I should be a priest. And this is by, by priests, you know, and um, just because they thought I was a good speaker, a uh, good leader, had these kind of skills. And I, had to tell a priest, you know, an ordained priest that that wasn't what the church teaches. And so I think that that's okay for people to know that, you know, sometimes there are priests that are also led astray or might have a teaching from the past that they've clung to that is not correct, but to, it's okay to be able to cling to the truth sometimes, even when, um, that might be suggested otherwise, or you might read about priests who are saying things like you mentioned, Father. Um, for me, that was shocking to hear yeah. from a 
priest, um, but but um, I was confident in the truth that the church teaches, and that the priest had it wrong and not me. You know, maybe I should think my vocation if a priest says it's okay or something. So I think that is um, a hard cross that we have in this generation because I think in generations past you didn't really doubt what a priest were to say and you know maybe there was more of a union with the magisterium or you know but now I think that there's so much division between truth that you do hear a lot of priests and sisters um saying all kinds of things yeah yeah I, um, I, go ahead. I, I just, I, I want to um, shine a light on something else you said too, Kim, that was so beautiful. Um, the reality of the masculinity and the femininity of the soul. I haven't given that a whole lot of thought. I think that's, but it's how, how true that is, you know, and that um, we are body and soul. And if we can help our children to understand that there's, there's more than this, right. And how, there's so much more God is promising so much more. And we have a taste of that already, just in the fact that we are made up of body and soul um, and that nothing is, is just random, but that God has such an incredible love for each of his children that, that is so unique and so, um, you know, individual for each of us, that uh, plan that he has for each of us and, and uh, the intentionality of his creating each of us, um, even down to the, to the masculinity or femininity of the soul. Um, none of it's an accident, right? It's all, it's all in God's providence. Um, it's really edifying. I think that's essential. Yeah. Yeah. That's essential because one of the leading feminist scholars, Simone de Beauvoir, French philosopher had said that woman is not born a woman. She becomes a woman. And that has had a lasting effect. Her book is still today referred to as the feminist Bible. And that was her whole mentality is that we become women because of society. It's not that we are born with anything masculine or feminine in our soul. And I think from all of my research, that's the difference. That's really the difference. What it comes down to is were you born a woman or a man in your soul, or was it just an accident of whatever body you landed in? And if I think that's the way to dissuade what the argument that we're faced with today in society. Um, and Edith Stein really said basically the opposite of Simone. They were about, they were alive around the same time. And she really said the opposite that you are born a woman, you know, or a man and, um, and you become the best version of that. You learn throughout life what that means, but your soul is always directed toward that. And, and that's the way that you love. That's the way that you give and receive love. And that is what John Paul II talked about, of course, is the giving and receiving of love based on our masculinity and our femininity. And that's something that we're trying to erase because if you did not have an origin a divine origin that was masculine or feminine before you landed in your body, you know, before your soul, um, you know, linked up with your body. If there was nothing that God had planned for your soul in that sense, 
then there could have been mistakes or accidents or, you know, um, it could be society's fault that you want children or things like that, you know, that you have these bizarre ideas to want to protect or serve or love in this way. And the Catholic Church makes perfect sense of that. Yeah, this has made a lot of sense to me, actually. I never never really having thought too much about that, like exactly what you're saying, that it's not a mistake, you know, you're feminine or masculine in your soul. And then how you said, you know, we're putting limits on things by saying, oh, well, you know, society wants men and women to be equal, right? Equality. And so, well, we can't become priests, so it's not equal, but, but that's limiting it because what, what you as a woman may have been gifted, maybe far superior in some way, you know, like, or not superior, that's not the right word, but like maybe living to what you've been created to do is better than trying to live out what other people are called to do is is probably a better way of putting it. So um, round hole. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, but I think what we see is we see um, priesthood, as being something special, which it is. And well, well, why don't I get that special thing? And I think by thinking about it, like you were saying, Kimberly, as a limitation, like you're putting a limitation on what you're, what we're, we're looking at um, is a really great perspective on that. And I, and I really, I, I think that's something that we need to focus more on when we're talking with our kids too. Like even, even in so much as um, well, you as a, as a person, you know, as we're talking to our kids may want to do a certain thing. You may want to be a, a doctor. I don't know, but God wants you to be a teacher. I don't know. So by choosing the thing that we want or the thing that we think will be best or the thing that looks the best may not be God's plan for us. And, and really focusing on let's, let's live to find out what God is giving us because that's going to be the best fit for us rather than something that looks better from the outside or whatever right. what have you, you know, I think you can even see that when you talk to different religious and hear their stories where one can say, I always wanted to be a priest, you know, from the earliest time, I just couldn't wait to be a priest. And then other ones were hiding in every nook and cranny of the world to try to get away from the call and it was like please I'll do anything just don't make me be a priest you know don't make me be a a sister and you see you know of course once they embrace whatever vocation they're meant to embrace there's perfect peace and happiness and Augustine you know give Lord give me um chest but not yet and it's that (laughs) idea that once you're there you're like the world was I waiting for? Why was I running from this, you know, peace? And, and why was I living in so much anxiety and fear from this? And so I think that is the same kind of thing with our lives. We have this, it's the same thing with the church. Like, okay, I'll be religious when I'm older because I don't want to have to give up all the fun things. I remember thinking like, okay, if I, become religious, then I have to, you know, live a really boring life, give up everything fun, 
and you know i'll just have to sit around playing canasta every night or something like that at the old folks home so i'm sorry that actually sounds really good to me though (laughs) it's because you're an old man like you you know who was the saint that said save us save us from gloomy saints I forget who it was. A Teresa of Avila. Yeah. yeah, save us, Lord, from. Gloomy I think it was saints. Teresa of Avila. Yeah. yeah, I think it was. Yeah, sour <laughs> face saints or yes. something like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'll just say, like, so um, I love John Paul II, and um, of course, he said in Molière's Dignitatum, masculinity and femininity are distinct, yet at the same time they complement, com- complete and explain each other. And I think that is great because, you know, we have enough of like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, like all this other kind of stuff. Like the fact that they explain each other, that does not seem self-evident if you've been alive for, you know, a few years and if you've been married. But, um, you know, it it's so true though that God gave us these two very distinct natures to explain the other and to complement the other and not to be divided against the other or to say what's better. And I remember when one of my sons was really young, he went through this whole episode of thinking it was really unfair that he would never be able to have kids, like have actually have the baby. He was like, but how come boys can't have the babies? Like that doesn't seem fair that they don't. I guess he had this perception that it's not really from you. Like you don't really obviously have a part in this if the baby doesn't come from your physical body. So it didn't seem fair that only women were able to like biologically have anything to do with their children. And the guy was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have any kids, you know, it's like daddy doesn't really have any kids. Mommy has the kids and mm-hmm. just kind of there, like, I guess he had more of a St. Joseph idea. Like I'll marry you and help you raise your children. Whatever God gives you, you know, yeah. so this is very beautiful in perspective, but he was very, he felt very gypped that yeah. he would never be able to have children. And I thought, wow, that's funny seeing it from the other perspective than we usually see in society. And, you know, trying to explain to him, how this role of masculinity and fatherhood is just as beautiful and just as important and just as worthy. And that is what God chose specifically for him. Mm. This is so funny as somebody coming from like a feminist perspective, trying to explain to my young son how, you know, it's like God did this on purpose. (laughs) I have to now explain to this child how good masculinity is and how worthy masculinity is and what a gift it was that God gave him this masculine nature that was not and and that he was envying something that I had been like repulsed by in the past or, or, you know, thinking that was not great. And he saw it as such an elevated, you know, from the gift of the innocence of a child, he saw it as so elevated. Mm -hmm. So one of those moments, you know, that you'll never forget that God just kind of like take note of this, you know, take this in your life and think about it because through the mouths of children, you know, God has a sense of irony. Yeah. Right. But that's a a really 
a great conversation to have because it's usually the other way around, isn't it? Right. Like mm-hmm. it's usually the girl saying, well, I can't do the things my brothers can or, or what, what have you. Um, at least I feel like that's, that's been the experience here, but, um, I just, I, I love that too. Of course he would have been young. So as he grows and learns more and understands more about everything in the world, like he'll start to get a better sense or clearer picture of that. So, it's interesting to think about that because um, a lot of times we are not learning enough, right? So we, we have these ideas in our head and they're just there and we don't take it to the next step to understand more. So, um, which is what you did in your book, really, you're, you're teaching everybody who's kind of been entrenched in feminism or, um, just in in our culture and showing them, oh, well, but look, these things have a, a basis in history and this is where they came from. And if you learn more about it, you'll you'll your idea of femininity and masculinity will start to change and to become more towards the truth. And I think a lot of us stop and don't pursue the truth Um and we need we need to make growth in that area. We need if we're if we're struggling um, with something that the the Catholic Church teaches, it's not because the church is wrong. It's because we don't we're wrong. We haven't taken the time to learn to to kind of wrap our head around it in a knowledge way. But also, like, have we taken it to God? Have we have we asked Him to show us how we're misunderstanding what He wants us to know? Um, and that's really what you did with your child, trying to show him the truth and lead him to the truth. But as an adult, if we're still in that same place as the child, then that's on us. And we need to to take that to God and we need to do our part and to learn more. So I'm, I'm really, I think that's a good way to kind of wrap up here because um, that's exactly what your your book is providing to women in particular, of course, also to men, if, if this is to understand maybe where their wives are coming from or, or where their sisters or mothers and whatnot are coming from. So I'm really, I'm really appreciative that you've written this book because I think it will affect, it affected me. It helped me to understand. And anytime we understand more, we're, we're closer to the truth. So thank you for writing it. You are most welcome. Yeah. I think that's all. Yeah, that's all correct. And I, that feminism is a huge thing in, in the church. Um, when I look at the church, I mean, I see it really prevalent, probably just because I'm more aware of it. But I mean, even with people that I graduated with from, you know, um, that I went to school with and things like that from some of these great Catholic programs, I'm just surprised what the world can do, you know, what years and society can do to warp people's minds. And I think it's so easy, like you said, um, to look for, to just let ourselves stop and to look for allies, like to say, well, this priest or this sister, you know, to kind of pull people as allies said that this was okay. And I get that all the time, like as an attack. Well, if this person is an ordained priest and they're, you know, they're not excommunicated, they're still practicing, and they're still, you know, they have a parish, and so what they say, you know, if they say that it's okay to do X, Y, or Z, or to be this, or to be that, then it must be, so you can kind of pull from the voices that you want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, I think that's, 
that's pretty common, you know, is I have this, this thought process and I'm going to find who agrees with me. And so Mm -hmm. I can keep my head in the stand and, and not, and not make progress. So, but I, yeah, I don't think you can read this book and say that you feel the same way about feminism, just because it is a history book. I mean, this comes from the mouths. What one thing that I did in this book is I didn't use any opinion pieces. Every single thing that Mark, that I put in here about Margaret Sanger comes from her mouth or her pen. Nothing that says, I think that, you know, there's no opinion pieces about Margaret Sanger. Like you will see the real Margaret Sanger in here. You will see the real Simone de Beauvoir and um, Gloria Steinem. It all comes from their direct words. And that's the thing that's so, it's not an opinion piece. Like you can't argue with what they actually said. Yeah, it's eye-opening. It's definitely eye-opening. And for, for those listeners who may not know, Margaret Sanger is the founder of Planned Parenthood. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily common knowledge for for people who aren't with, you know, entrenched in, in this. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that is a strength of this book because you read it and you're going, oh, really? Like, okay, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um like you said, you can't argue with that if it's straight from their, from their mouth. So, so where can, where can everybody find you? If they're interested in, in reading this book, where can they, where can they get it? So you can get the book motherhood redeemed again, um, Kimberly cook at tan books. You can get it at Amazon and you can also find me at Kimberly which is my website. And you host a podcast and how often, how often do you share new episodes? I do. So the podcast is called the dignity of, of women, a shout out to John Paul II. And, um, I share episodes probably about once a month or whenever I can. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I'm definitely not like a, a faithful to a schedule, I would say with podcasting, but we've had so many great people on the podcast. Um, talking about, you know, so many things surrounding this and a lot of um, men as well. It's 50-50 with men and women guests talking about this kind of stuff. So it's really powerful and um, in some of the content, if you want to go deeper into some of this. Great. Thank you so much. Anything, any last thoughts, Father Connolly? Just to say thanks. Ken, this was great. It's a pleasure talking to you and and, uh, you're an important voice in a, in in a very important conversation in the world. So thank you. And be sure of my thank prayers. Thank you. I pray for thank us. Thank you both so much. So, um, Kimberly, we finish each podcast with this little segment called How I Heard God. Okay. So I, I won't put you on the spot if you, if it's not, if you're not, if you don't want That's to. That's fine. I'm good but, with being on the spot. <laughs> all right. So each week we share, you know, how, in our week, did we experience God's presence? We call it how I heard God. And Father Connolly, I went first last time. So you go first. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, this is, um, so New Year's Eve, I decided the very first thing I wanted to do in 2021 was to celebrate mass. So I was in my chapel in the rectory, um, all set up to go and and just really looking forward to to celebrating this mass and um i had felt such a already this this 
wave of God's mercy and love crashing over me that just like all in a matter of a few hours was already telling me, hey, I'm with you. I love you. It's going to be okay. And then um, just to cap it all off, at midnight, someone in the neighborhood started shooting off fireworks. <laughs> and they probably shouldn't have been, but boy, am I glad they were. And it was wherever it was, it was in the direct line of sight from the window of the chapel. So at, just as I'm about to start celebrating mass, see these beautiful fireworks. And again, it was so simple, but it was just so clearly God telling me, you know, trust me, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. So that was, that was a great gift. It's a good way to start the year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With fireworks. It's gotta be yeah. a good year, right? So um, I'll share one that just literally happened this morning because it was just so shocking to me. So I've had it in my mind that I've been wanting to teach the kids more about um, meditative type prayer. So teaching them maybe Lectio Divina or how to use our imagination to read the gospels and, and use that as a basis for prayer. So going beyond a simple vocal prayer and, and bedtime prayer. So I said, okay, when school starts on Monday, we're going to start back with this. This is going to be our morning start. So, um, so I sat down with the older two. I have three. So the little guy was still sleeping. So we started with the older two and I, and I said, okay, we're going to pick a gospel and we're going to do this exercise. And so I said, what gospel would you like? Any gospel story? I don't care. I want it. I want it to be your thing. So there was a lot of talk about what stories they liked. So the two of them settled on the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so we sat down with the children's Bible and we read through it and we had a really great conversation. You know, I would lead with some questions and can we imagine this and whatnot back and forth. Um, now, mind you, before going into this, I was like, who do I think I am? Why am I, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if I can teach this. I, I'm barely good at this myself, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I felt like it was successful, but I, you know, I have a trouble with consistency and keeping up with it. So I was like, all right, well, the first day was good, but we'll see. So I sat down to pray this morning and I opened the readings for the day and the, the gospel for today was feeding the 5,000. And I was like, <laughs> okay, God, like, thank you. Like, it was just such a, such a nice little like wink from heaven, like a little consolation. Like, yeah, I saw what you did and I want you to keep doing it and good job. And so that, I thought that was a really awesome, awesome consolation. So. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, for me, I guess we got to go on a hike. Um, it's been kind of rainy and cold. We're in Virginia. So the past like week hasn't been, the past like two weeks have been kind of bad. Um, but on Saturday, it cleared up and it was actually kind of warm and nice. And so we were able to go um, to a, like a hike on part of the Appalachian Trail that's near us, like in the Blue Ridge Mountains and um, Shenandoah River, almost seven and everything. And uh, we, you know, my husband and I and the kids and we brought one of their friends and it was just amazing. I guess I always feel really connected to God in nature like that. Um, just the beauty of the mountains and the water and everything. So for me, I felt like it was just like in the middle of this kind of nasty stretch of weather that everything just kind of cleared up perfectly on our Saturday and it was warm and sunny and, you know, we were able to 
climb up in the mountains all together. And, you know, we were talking about like the bond traps and all that kind of stuff. And so, and they were like wailing out Christmas songs to and from like their little chipmunk voices. And I guess like I have just been getting such a kick out of the um, interpretations of what the words are because our kids like I've kids do this but my um getting asked who is captain israel so you know there's it's just been so funny like they they've been so into the christmas music and belting all these things out there's so many things i'm like sing choirs of parties of angels and you know and and mommy, who is Captain Israel, you know, um, <laughs> or Captive Israel, you know, and I'm just like, Captain Israel. And so I've just been like constantly cracking up with their versions because certain words, you know, that they don't know in these songs have been, yeah. so, it's so funny what they come up with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've talked about this before on other shows, but the, the experiencing the God and the beauty of nature is a, is a big one. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much again. And yeah, uh, thank you. Should we just close with a prayer, Father? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to um, you for creating us. Thank you for creation. Thank you for your plan for us, your love for us, uh, and, the, and the unique gifts you've given each of us. Um, we ask you for the grace to to work with you, uh, take part in your creation and and do our part according to your will um, by the power of your love and your grace um, to live good and holy lives and build up the kingdom. Through Christ our Lord, amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for listening to Raising Saints. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something about the faith, the church, and God. Most importantly, We hope you've heard God's voice as he calls out to you in love, as he calls you to a friendship with himself, as he calls you to be a saint. Until next time, God bless you. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at CatholicSingles.com.